you would be pleased today. Thank you, Lord. We, we take this opportunity just to lift you up, just to acknowledge you for who you are, Lord God, just to give you the honor and praise, Lord. We ask that you would be honored, that you would be lifted on high. All right, thank you, Lord. We just thank you. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you why. What I want to share with you guys today comes from when Jay and Tammy were here. And it was the first night I got to be here. It was Friday. Thursday night I had a graduation for my niece, so I didn't get to get here on Thursday. But when I got here on Friday, we were in worship, and Jay started to talk about the difference that he was experiencing before the worship and after the worship. And was it that we worship God into our presence? And it really wasn't that we worship God into our presence. It was that God was there all along the whole time. The issue was us getting in the position to realize that God was there and present all the time because he's omnipotent. He's there all the time. He's around all the time. So I listened to that, and I just started thinking a little bit about it. And then he talked about cultivating the presence of God. Now, what is cultivating the presence of God? Developing a relationship with God. How do we develop that relationship with God? What is cultivation all about? He asked the question, basically, are we practicing the presence or are we cultivating the presence? Now, one of the things he said about practicing the presence, because I'd heard the term practicing God's presence before. Well, one of the things he said, if God's will is perfect, why are we practicing? I've got Matthew... 21, 14, 1 through 16. And it says, then the, then, the blind man, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Well, if infants can give perfected praise, why do we have to practice? There shouldn't be a reason we have to practice praise. We should be cultivating our praise and the presence of God. What is cultivate? You guys have on your little outline the definition of cultivate. And it says to prepare or to prepare for the use of raising of crops. Okay. Now, I'm not the biggest farmer in the world. Okay. But I do at this point, I have a couple, couple as in two, <laughs> tomato plants. And I work at these tomato plants. 
first, you know, the whole idea of what cultivating is, breaking up the ground, part of this is, is one of the um, definitions right out after it. It says loosen or to break up the soil about it. So you have to kind of bust up the ground because nothing grows in real hard soil. So, you know, I busted up the ground, and it's kind of clay or whatever, but you bust it up, and you put it in, and you, I'm always watering, I'm always fertilizing, I'm always doing something like that. So when you look at cultivating the presence, it's something that you've got to kind of work at. You ever wonder why you don't have to cultivate weeds? Okay, because that's what I grow the best around my house. I grow weeds around the house, okay? Don't do a thing, and boom, they're there. All right, at least I'm at the point where I'm digging the ones around my stuff out, okay? It also says, when you're looking at our definitions, it says to foster growth, right? To improve by labor, care, or study. Now, when I'm looking at all of these definitions, these are things that kind of work for me when I, I talk or I think about cultivating the presence of God. It's work. It's something that you have to do. It's not like the weeds. It doesn't just happen. We don't just get up and expect the presence of God to be there, even though he's there, because we haven't cultivated it. We don't know he's there. We go all about our life. We don't care what we do. We just do what we do. But God's there all the, t- all the time, looking for us to turn to him, to have a relationship with him, to want to interact with him. But because we're not aware of his presence, we just go on and continue to do what we do. And then the fourth one on here, I kind of like, it says to seek the society or to make friends with. See, God wants to be our friend. He wants to have that relationship. He wants to have that interaction. He wants to have intimacy into me, you see. He wants to be able to, for us to share back and forth with him. He wants us to be open and vulnerable. Now, it's kind of funny because God knows it all anyway. But it's almost like that Adam and Eve thing where they became separated from God. And God got to the point where he said, Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know. But he wanted the relationship. See, from the beginning, God had that intimacy. He used to come and hang out with them in the cool of the day. Used to walk along, used to talk about stuff, used to talk about how their day was. They used to ask him, well, God, what about this and what about, and how come you could do this, God? It was a relationship. Okay, But because of the sin, they got separated. Now, as I'm looking at that whole thing with cultivation, because I was just kind of wondering, you know, where Jay was going with that, so I kind of had to go back. But it was really kind of interesting because as I thought about it, I just kept thinking about that whole worshiping aspect. And it got to the point where one of the things I thought about is the parable of the sower. And I'm here in Mark 4, 3 to 20. And we all know the parable of the sower. And it's good that, you know, we got a Wednesday crowd because you don't necessarily have because you guys know the stories. You know the word of God. 
Okay. The sower went out and he was spreading seed. And some seed fell on stony ground, uncultivated ground, rocky ground, ground that hadn't been broken up, dug up. Some fell and the birds of the air came and they got it. Some fell along with thorns and thistles and weeds, which you don't have to do anything for it to grow up. But some fell on good ground and produced 30, 60, 100 per fold. Now, what do we have to do that we can produce a bumper crap when it comes to the presence of God? Cultivate our ground. I heard somebody say before that praise and worship is like God's rototiller. It busts up fallow ground. It busts up stony ground. You have to take you out of it for true worship. And you have to concentrate on God. And the thing that we're looking for is to be in God's presence. In Psalm 1611, it says that you will show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of stuff I want. I want fullness of joy. I want pleasures forevermore. See, when we're in God's presence, that's what we get. Just because we're there. Not because we're trying to get stuff from God. Not because we're looking for a Santa God. But because of relationships. Perks. If you got a good job, you get perks, right? (laughs) Hallelujah for perks. Not part of the, the benefit package. It's just perks. You just happen to get here. Hey, guess what? We got game tickets. Who wants game tickets? Perks. All right, so as I'm thinking about this, I, I get to the point where night's over. I'm home. I go to bed. I'm laying in the bed. I wake up the next morning. And you ever wake up and, you, like, your mind is just going It's just, you know, and and I'm meditating. I'm thinking about what I heard the night before, and I'm thinking about just the praise of God and worshiping him and giving him honor and, and all that he is. It's kind of cool. I'm like, wow, wow, this is different. You know, because now don't get me wrong, I worship God, but I don't always wake up in that mode where I'm thinking how great thou art. Okay. Now, what I do is when I wake up, generally I get up and I go read. That's how I like to start my day. I like to get in the Word of God. And I go and, you know, I go to pull out my Bible and my Bible <laughs> or the computer or, you know, I, I just don't turn pages. So I go and I start to read. And it, it's funny because I was supposed to be. Reading in First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First uh, First Chronicles 16. And as I sat down, 
I'm sitting there, and I start reading, but I couldn't get but like a couple verses. And usually I read about five chapters or whatever it is a day. So I just couldn't get any further. And as I'm reading, I read like a verse, and I'd meditate. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. I need to think about this. I need to roll that over in my mind, the idea of what meditation is. It's like a cow and the stomachs that the cow has. The cow chews the grass, puts it in the stomach, brings it back and chews its cud. Puts it in another stomach, brings it back and chews its cud to get all the nourishment, all, all of what is in that grass out. And that's what meditation is like. So as I'm doing that, the verse comes up, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. So as I'm reading the word, I'm meditating on those things, those praiseworthy things. And, and kind of, this is where I, I actually ended up. Like I said, First Chronicles 16, 1 through 36. And as I'm reading and reading and rereading and reading and rereading, it finally kind of hits me. And as I'm reading, verse 1 says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, every one a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, Asaph, I'm sorry, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, Jael, Shemorah, Moth, Jael, Mateaha, Elah, Benaniah, and Obed-Edom. Okay? Jael, with strings and instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Benaiah and Jehazel, Zeal, the priests regularly blew trumpets before the ark of the covenant of God. So now these guys are there, and they're having a jam session. They're worshiping God however they worship God. All right. And they've got instruments. We don't even know what they, what they got. And we got one guy doing the cymbals. Now, I don't know how you play the cymbals. I mean, I watch Nick. Okay, and you kind of bang on them. But then sometimes you see, like, marching band. Joe, you weren't in a marching band, were you? Okay, marching band. You see the dudes walking up in marching band. Now, is that what he was doing, walking around with the, with the cymbals, and he would just bang on the cymbals? But he was worshiping God. They were worshiping God. So I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm going over it. And it occurs to me that the ark represented the physical presence of God. That's what it was. They, they were in God's presence. That ark represented the physical presence of God. Although he was always omnipresent, 
Okay, he was always there. The children of Israel were finally bringing it to dwell in the city where God had put his name to be. See, because they had had that hiccup before. They had had that issue before when, they, when David went down to get the ark. And they were doing it your way. <laughs> they had gotten it in their head that we want God's presence, but we want God's presence Amen. our way. All right. So because the Philistines had been moving it around on a cart, they figured, you know what, we'll go ahead and put it on a cart and just bring it on down, right? Now, the ark had been at Obed-Edom's spot, okay? And while it was down there, they had been basically thriving. The presence of God is here. Perks. Whatever he was doing, it was good. Life was, you know, Obed-Edom, it was good down at his place. (laughs) Problem being, you had the other incident. Now, the other incident was when they decided to do it their way, right? And here they come, and David was, you know, he was jacked up and jamming and coming down and everything else. And Uzzah, because Dark had been at his house, he kind of had an issue where he was kind of treating it like it was furniture. They're coming down, and, you know, the, the, the oxen stumbled. And, you know, Uzzah said, I got this. Look, look wait, wait. He reached out and touched the ark, and God killed him. David went home sullen and upset and didn't know what to do, which was kind of funny for David because usually he's a guy that sought God. Once he sought God and and figured out what it was and how he was supposed to be transporting the ark, he got it right. He came back and he had the Levites and they had it on the poles and they were carrying it like they should have been carrying it. And now it was party time indeed. Okay, so here they come, and it's, it's for real party time this time. And, and it goes on. And on that day, David first delivered this psalm in the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, your children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are all are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel and to an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan all the allotment of your inheritance. When you, are, when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings and their, for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do 
my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare glory among the nations, his wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the people are idols. Now, think about idols. They have like a little note here for idols. It says worthless things. So all the other gods are worthless things, basically, all right? They, in, in essence, they ain't even really things, okay? Minutia, okay? You ever heard that term, minutia? Okay, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor the majesty Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Okay. When your people talk to you about uh, that whole global warming and everything else, that's the global warming message, okay? The earth shall not be moved, all right? Just needed to say that. All right. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. I'm sorry. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all the fullness in all its fullness, let the field rejoice and all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us up together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. We agree. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, for me, it just kind of, at that point, it was like an aha moment. I don't know why. It's just something, you know, it was just an aha moment. You know, one of the things that I heard in my spirit was we've always had a perception problem when it comes to our worship. When I say worship, hear me say worship. I, I say that a lot. Or I talked to David of uh, David and Pam. Uh, they were here a few weeks ago, and David is from the UK. So the word worship, worship is an old English word so I talked to David about it and he tells me that I should say worthy ship okay so in other words what it means is we have to ascribe worth to God because he is worthy so that's what our worship is ascribing that worth but see we've always we always tend to have a problem with that whole worth aspect now jolly this Sunday had a new one. Workship. Yes. And all that we do, we do it as unto the Lord. So when we go to work, it's workship because we're doing it as an offering to the God, to God as because of his work, we will do everything we do. 
with excellence and to the best that we can do. Even when we have constituent issues. Okay? Now, see, if we understand God, God's true perspective, we would understand everything really doesn't matter. See, if we put God in his correct place, God, everything else. When we're concentrating on God, all the other stuff goes by the wayside. Now, here's the thing. I had something that that just kind of came to me, and it was kind of tough because I heard God say that worship isn't for God. It's for us. Our worship is towards God, but our worship actually is what puts us in the proper perspective for who God is. See, we can't, we don't really understand who he is a lot of times. We say, well, we're worshiping him. The word of God says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Now, are we actually magnifying God? What we're actually doing is magnifying what our perception or interpretation is of God. We're expanding who we know God to be or who we see God as being. That's the idea of our worship. We're expanding our idea of who God is. We're getting in the correct perspective when we look at God. So when we look at God through our worship, what else can matter? You ever had those moments where something goes on in life and you struggle for an answer? You struggle to kind of do it in in your mind, well, if I do this and this and this and this, instead of saying, wait a minute, but God. You, you, you're you know, three pages down the road, and you haven't even said, well, wait, but, but, but what about God? So I had to start to think. I said, this is David. We're talking about David in all of this. So who was David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's heart. There you go. Acts 13.22. And when God had removed Saul, he he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Right. So now I know Jesse's a man after God's own heart. So I got to go a little bit further. I want to know what made David a man after God's own heart. 
So I started looking and, and, and meditating again and rolling it over in my head. And I got the whole thing that, well, what about David when he was called to play for Saul, when Saul was having a distressing spirit? Right? First Samuel 16, 14 and 18. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek, about, seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be when he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servant, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, who is, a, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, handsome in person, and, hey, there it is, the Lord is with him. This is who David was. The Lord was with him. Now, when David came and he was playing for Saul, I mean, he wasn't a performer, right? It wasn't, you know, David's doing concerts down at whatever, you know, just bring David down, and instead of doing a concert for thousands, he'll do a command performance, literally, okay? But David came, and he played. What do you think David was playing? Do you think David was playing? Because we know he hadn't got to, you know, his, you know, Saul's killed his thousands and ten, and David's killed his ten thousands yet, but he had to be playing something, right? I would say David was playing praise and worship music. And this is what soothed Saul when he heard David playing before the Lord and unto the Lord. We go a little further, and then we've got David in the wilderness with the sheep. We know that David was in the wilderness with the sheep, and okay, what was he doing with the sheep? He's the youngest boy, so he basically got what was left over. So if we're looking at First Samuel seventeen thirty-four through 37, and David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, by the way, will be like one of those, seeing he has defiled the army of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, here's the thing. After years of tending his father's sheep in the wilderness, did David spend all that time in vain? I submit to you that while he was out there by himself, he was cultivating the presence of God. 
He was playing skillfully to nobody but the sheep and God. He was worshiping God. And others, through seeing him, knew that God was with him. One of the things that Jay had mentioned was when you show up as a believer and you walk in, people should notice the difference. There should be a taste. There should be something there that, what is that? There's something. You see, David was cultivating the presence of God. And what he was doing was changing his perspective of who God is. It's all a matter of perspective. If we go down to David and Goliath, just a little bit further, then David said to the Philistine, Come to me, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, when you, <clears throat> whom you have defiled or defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass, I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Enough said? <laughs> You're talking about somebody who has the right perspective of God. I don't even really have to show up because the battle's God's. You know, I'm going to grab a couple of smooth stones here. I'm going to throw them in my sack. But it's a done deal. It's a wrap. I don't have to worry about it. This is what happens when it's a matter of perspective. David and the raid on Ziklag. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them, all, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his man, men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire and their wives their sons their daughters had been taken captive then david and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep and david's two wives her and i i could do i could do abigail okay and abigail a and a we're gone. All right. And let's see who else. And, and they were gone. So you got me all messed up, messing around with this. The wife, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelitess, Nabal, the fool, in other words, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his son and for his daughter. But here's the good part. <laughs> 
But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me the ephod here. And and Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. Now, all right, in this one, we got David being strengthened by the Lord. And certain verses I, I just hear in KJV. All right, and this is one of those verses for me. Yeah, it, this says strengthen him. But in KJV, come on, you know what it says, right? But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Who? What does that mean? He, he encouraged himself in the, in the Lord. He started talking to himself. He had a little praise and worship time going on right now at a time when he was at the lowest point in his whole life. Okay, at that point. His children were gone. His wives are gone. I don't know if you lost two of them. Maybe you get one back and then you start from there. But his wives were gone. His men were talking about stoning him. But he started talking to himself. He started putting God in the correct perspective. Saying, you know what? This is the God that fights for me. I don't need to be in this battle. This God is the God that does exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. He just goes on and on and on, and he's encouraging himself in the Lord. Okay, He didn't stop and start talking to the fellows and try to start to talk them out of not stoning him. Well, you know, well, you see, fellas, if we do, and, and then if we go down here and we do... Yeah, what had happened was, well, you know, I was with you, okay? Why are you trying to do a brother? Because I was with you, right? No, that's not how it works. He had the right perspective of God. He said, look, God, I know who you are. I know what you do. I know how you do what you do, all right? What shall I do, God? God said, go get them and get all that's yours. You, and you shall surely get what's yours. All right. And that's what he did. He went and got what's his. Went and took it back. Let me take back what's mine. And then stuff beside that. Let me get what's mine, okay? That's the idea of what cultivating the presence of God does in your life. David cultivated the presence of God continually. He encouraged himself. When there was no issue... He built himself up. See, so often we want God as a very, what is it, as a very present help, okay, in our time of trouble. But see, if God isn't there all the time, why are you looking at him in times of trouble? We want God the genie. We want, if God's not an ever-present God all the time, Why do we want God to be a God, a very present God, when we're in trouble? If we had the right perspective, he should be an ever-present God all the time. I have some other examples of people who cultivated the presence of God. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
because we don't, because we, rack, rack, shack, and Benny, okay? Rack, shack, and Benny, okay? Because we don't do, because we don't do them other names. I, the farthest, the farthest I will get is rack, shack, and Benny, okay? But, I know it's in the Bible, I got it, but what do the names mean? Okay, well, worshiper of this God and worshiper of that God and everything. No, 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 no. We, we, remember, we're talking about putting God in his correct perspective. So how can we have God in his correct perspective when we're using these slave names for these boys? Well, just because they used them don't mean it was a whole lot of stuff was in the Bible that shouldn't have been, that, that should have been better or should have been different. Okay? So we know the story. You got these boys. They show up, and they honor God. Okay? Now, even before they got in captivity, They had relationships with God because they didn't develop a relationship walking in bondage from home to where they were going. They had a relationship before they ever got there. So when they got there and they started doing things that were opposed to what they believed and what what they knew honored their God, they said, you know what, hold on, wait a second. We don't want that. Matter of fact, just test us. See how we do. See how we do. See what we do. And see how it works out for you. Okay? So, because it's on the board, I guess we're going to go on and do it. All right. So, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. All right? This is after they set up the big idol or the big bunny or wherever. Because, again, I work in children's ministry. You guys know. So I I, kind of look at things in children's ministry. So there was the big idol that was set up that they were to worship and they were to bow down to worship. And it was time to do it. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to do it. So they had this talk with Nebuchadnezzar. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you because he was, he was going to give, you, give him a shot. No need for us to say any to you, anything to you. You're going to burn us, burn us with fire? You're going to throw us into the fiery furnace? No need to say anything. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let me say that again. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the god, the gold image which you have set up. Not going to do it. Not going to have it. Not going to happen. Why? Because we have a different perspective of our God. Some people, it might be easy to say, well, yeah, I just give it that quick. Like that, and then, you know, you'll be happy, I'll be happy, we'll go on. We call it a quick compromise. Not even going to think about it. Matter of fact, you the king, you are the man. I'm going to tell you, even if my God doesn't rescue me, 
doesn't matter to me. So we know the story. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is upset. Fire three, four times. I mean, it's hot. People go and throw them in. They burn up throwing people, throwing the boys into the fire. They drop in the fire. They're walking around in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar, it must be like television. I don't know, maybe some kind of demented uh, spectator sport. Because he looks and he says, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three dudes in there? But I see a fourth. And he looks like the son of man walking around in there. So wait a minute. Let's get them guys out of here. They come out. They don't even smell like smoke. Not even like smoke. And what happens? If we skip down to verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar comes out. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, shall be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no God who can deliver like this. So in the end, these three guys' view of God, their perspective of God, has changed the king of the most powerful nation at the time. Okay? To where he realizes that there's no God but this God. It's a matter of perspective. Amen. Amen. All right, so then we got to have pastor's favorite. <laughs> We've got Daniel. And once again, we know the story. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was... Si- oh, wait a minute. I didn't skip something. How did that happen? Okay, I'm sorry. Daniel 6, 10 to 13. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what writing was that? That was the writing of the decree that said that no man shall bow down to any other god but you, O king. In the law of the Medes and Pers- Persians, which do not, which you cannot cancel. Once you sign it, it's a done deal. It's a wrap. Only one you can go ahead and worship is the king. And when his upper and when it was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with the windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men who must have been like right at his door waiting to hear him pray. Okay? Assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. And they said, Hmm, king, have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within... 30 days except you O king shall be cast into the den of lions and the king says yeah yeah I did that the king answers and said the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians which does not alter so they answered and said before the king that Daniel 
who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes petitions three times a day. So what happens? We know what happens. Into the lion den you go. When all this came about, never phased Daniel. Never batted an eye. Why? He had a different perspective of God. He knew who his God was. Even if he doesn't save me, it doesn't matter. Into the den of lions you go. Once again, that God thing had rubbed off on the king. So that night, the king couldn't even sleep. He's worried about Daniel. Daniel's down, nestled on the lions. In the morning, he comes running out. Oh, Daniel, has your God, whom you serve constantly, protect you? Oh, king, live forever. Just down here chilling. Hey, get that dude up out of here. And those other dudes, put them in there. Before they even hit the bottom, vittles, tender chunk, tender meal, what are you going to call it? They're done. Done. See, it's all a matter of perspective. I've got Simeon here. And who was Simeon? We're talking about a guy that was waiting for the salvation and the consolation of Israel. See, back in in those days, you hadn't heard a whole lot from God before the coming of Christ. You know, the, the, the closing of the old covenant and the beginning of the, the new covenant was, what, about 400 years or so? God wasn't saying a whole lot. But here you had this guy who was devout, who practiced the presence of God. And because that's what he did, starting at verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The presence of God was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought, into, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arm and blessed him and said, Lord, now, are you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people, and a light were a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory to of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon practiced the cultivation of the 
presence of God. We've got Anna here. Luke 2, 36 and 38. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineo of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband, husband seven years from her virginity. I guess that means she was married for seven years, then dude died, right? <laughs> so since then, she had been living as a widow for about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayer night and day and coming in that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him and all the things and all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem here's someone who practiced the presence of God night and day she just wanted to be in front of him she just wanted to be there Joshua was like that when they had the tent of the meeting. Moses used to go where he went, but Joshua would stay in the presence of God. You see, it's all about a matter of perception. You've got Paul and Silas when they're imprisoned. Okay? Acts sixteen twenty-five through 29. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were getting their praise on. (laughs) While in chains, they're getting their praise on. Okay? You say, praise doesn't change things? Whether they were in or out, whether they, they were getting their praise on. It was changing things. It was changing a perspective. It was changing their perspective of what was going on. And the prisoners were listening to them. Remember, we're affecting people. They're listening to them praising God. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. That's one heck of an earthquake. I can see maybe the doors popping open, but the chains. Okay. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. See, because he had a job. And if he messed up on his job, he might as well go ahead and kill himself because he didn't want to know how he was going to be killed. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. See, their praise had an effect on this jailer because of their perspective of God. Even though I'm in chains, it doesn't matter. See, if we would look at these things, look at things this way today, we wouldn't get all twisted up about so much that we get twisted up today about. I mean, we're all twisted up. Look at the news. Look at what the, the issue du jour is. We're twisted. If we put it in the proper perspective, but my God is able. 
of all these exam of all these examples or all these examples, I'm sorry, were not seeking God's intervention in anything that they were doing. They weren't seeking God to get them out of anything. They were just cultivating the presence of God. They were just having a different perspective of who God was. It wasn't, oh, Lord, save me, I'm in this. But because of their worship, because of their praise, because of how they looked at God, he moved greatly in each one of these situations. God just did it. Perks. I see you for who you really are, God. Perks. Lost your stuff, lost your wives, lost your kids. Get them back. Perks. In prison, in chains. Here's a get out of jail free card. Perks. Over and over and over again. My application for this is our God is a great big God. Now, because I get to do a message and because, you know, most preachers wouldn't be happy unless they got to go ahead and quote a hymn while they were preaching. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get one in. All right. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. And he holds us in his hands. He's higher than a skyscraper and deeper than a submarine. He's wider than the universe and beyond our wildest dreams. And he's known me and he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. Our God is a great big God. If we can get a hold of that, it will change our perspective on life. It will change what we do, how we do it, how we look at things. When God is viewed in his proper perspective, everything else is small by comparison. After all, it's all a matter of perspective. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We give you all the honor and praise that we get you in the proper perspective. Lord, that we would see you as you are, that you would be expanded in our sight, Lord God, to your rightful place, that we would understand that you want relationship with us and through our relationship with you, Lord God, that there's nothing you won't do for your kids. And we thank you for it. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.